Good afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to live from your true self through all of life's twists and turns. And you'll be challenged to lean into the mysteries of life to find your own deepest wisdom. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. We are very glad to have you here and hope you will benefit from the show today. Hoping you you will really stay with us for the end because we got David Vito Grigoli on here, and he's going to really help us understand a little bit more about the sacred music of the Bhagavad Gita. So Vito is what he wants to be called. Grigoli has created a masterpiece of music by translating into music the Bhagavad Gita. A while back, we interviewed Lisa Coffey, who wrote an accompanying book to the to go with Grigoli's music entitled "Song Divine" with commentary a new lyrical rendition of the Bhagavad Gita. If you want to, you can go back and listen to that show. It might help you understand a little bit more about what we're talking about today. And today, we're interviewing the author of the music song divine, the Bhagavad Gita rock opera, in which he creates music from the meaning of the Bhagavad Gita, and for which he has won much acclaim. A guitar virtuoso and a man with diverse talents in music from rock to classical the author of this sacred music brings the secret to a profound new sense of the meaning behind the powerful and profound sacred writing of the Bhagavad Gita. So stay here for it. And let me tell you just a little bit about David Vito Grigoli, which is the uh, name he uses for his work. He has embarked on a massive task to bring the sacred text of the Bhagavad Gita to the world as an album, Song Divine, the Bhagavad Gita rock opera. The opera is accompanied with a book by Lisa Coffey, who translated the Bhagavad Gita into verse and rhyme as was originally intended. The album featured Indian superstar Sonu Nigam and was released in October of 2021. A guitar virtuoso and master of a diverse portfolio of music from rock to classical and now to sacred, his work on the sounds of the sacred divine intelligence continued to amaze. Starting out as a child with an intense interest in music, he built a long history of various expressions of music over the years, of late working with such new age artists as Constance Demby, Jai Utah, Deepak Chopra, Stephen Halpern, and Donna DeLore. He both composes his own music and produces the music of others. His latest album is Wild Monsoon, another new age composition with two times Grammy winner Ricky Kai. So, Vito, uh, we're really glad to have you today. Thank you for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you All right, for well, having me. You're so welcome. Um, let's uh, talk just a little bit about your understanding the Bhagavad Gita and how it translates to music. I know that's a big topic, but we want to understand that before we learn a little bit more about you. Um, about three years ago, well, I guess it's about three and a half years ago now, Lisa came to me and, and shared with me her translation of uh, the Bhagavad Gita, which she called Song Divine. And I was very intrigued by it because it was the first time that I'd seen a translation that was done in rhyme scheme, which is how it was originally in Sanskrit. That, that way people could memorize it because they didn't write things down way back then. It was all oral transmission. So she, you know, her intent was to make it uh, not just lyrical and, and rhyme scheme, was to make it relatable um, in this day and age, so she took out a lot of things that didn't directly pertain to the wisdom that Krishna was trying to uh, impart to Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita. So she brought this to me and said, I want to put it to music. 
And I thought, wow, that's a really ambitious <laughs> um, idea because there's 18 chapters to the Bhagavad Gita, and that would mean a double album. Not that we have albums anymore, but you know, uh, a very long piece of music, and uh, would require a lot of, you know, just a lot of work to do. But I thought it was a really interesting challenge, and um, trying to capture the spirit of each of those chapters in music um, was very challenging and interesting to me. So I signed on for it. I said, let's do it. And uh, in the course of doing this, um, a lot of the um, paragraphs and lines had to be changed because they were Whereas they, they read really well on the page, they don't sing really well. Because when you sing something, um, it has to kind of have a contour in the music as well as in the actual words. And you have to kind of match that up. And there were some many times where I would go back to her, I said, is there a way we can say this differently with less syllables or more syllables or have it accent here or accent there? And so it was very much... Uh, a matter of her recreating um, some of some of the lines and paragraphs to accommodate the music as much as the music was meant to accommodate uh, the lyrics. So it was a very interesting process. Um, yeah. Another aspect of it was, go ahead. No, I was going to say that sounds very complicated. Oh, it gets more complicated. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it's coming from the Indian tradition, and I knew that I wasn't going to be composing, quote-unquote, Indian music, although I was using a lot of Indian instruments and some techniques, I wanted to have it somewhat grounded in Indian music. Uh, so I decided that each song would have its, uh, its melody based on an Indian raga. Now, raga in India isn't like a scale is in the West. It's not a, a, you know a set of notes that you can interchange their phrases, their, their motifs. They all, they have specific things you have to accentuate. There are certain notes you omit. So each raga is very specific. And I thought, well, it would really ground it in Indian music if I based every song on a different raga. Now I'm not an expert in Indian music. I've studied it a bit and uh, had the good fortune to work with some really well, well known and extremely accomplished artists, but I don't consider myself an expert by any means. So I had to learn a lot of the stuff that I didn't know um, and find out a way to turn it into a melody. And that was very challenging because it's not meant to do that. <laughs> Certainly not in a uh, Western pop sense. Um, so that was probably a challenge. If I had to do it all over again, I might loosen up a bit because it was very difficult, um, but it was very rewarding and educational um, trying to make that happen. Absolutely. It sounds like it was uh, really difficult, but also rewarding. So did the meanings um, of, this, of the actual Bhagavad Gita, did they influence how, what, how your phrasing in the uh, actual music happened? Yes, definitely. I mean, certain songs have certain messages and moods that are required. So we, Lisa and I would discuss it before I started working on it. And I come up with some ideas and I plan for her. And, uh, 
you know, like Life's Lament, which is chapter one, is really about the anguish that Arjuna is feeling, uh, you know, with with uh, the challenge of having to fight his relatives, basically, and some of his friends. It's very much like the Civil War in America was, you know, we have people on either side of the aisle. And, uh, you know, I wanted to capture that, um, that feeling. And, I, and all the other chapters have different things going on. There's a chapter where uh, Krishna reveals himself and his true divinity. And that, that had to have the grandeur and the scope and the uh, uh, drama, essentially, of it. So each song presented a different opportunity to, you know, translate the the meaning of the chapter and, and what essentially our Krishna's message to Arjuna was in each chapter. He, each one is emphasizing a different um, spiritual aspect. And part of that was also each of the chapters, um, some of them are like 40, 80 stanzas. And as you know, in a pop song, you've got two, tops, three, four if you add the bridge, unless you're Dylan and you're doing, you know, a seven-verse song. So it was really a job of both editing on Lisa's part and, and deciding which was the essential uh, verses and being able to use musical tricks to get more verses in there without it sounding like it's running a million miles an hour trying to get so many lyrics in there. So that was also very challenging and um, kind of exciting, too. Yeah, I can imagine. So it sounds like um, it's, what you're describing is not the same as, but at least somewhat similar to uh, the music, the instrumental, m- instrumental music that might accompany a movie. So they have to get the meaning of the movie and then produce music that sort of matches the meaning of the movie. That's a very good point. I'm glad you brought that up. I was raised in a family in a Hollywood family. My mother and my grandfather both worked in the studios, later my sister. Um, so I was raised in, with a certain awareness of arc, the arc of a script, the arc of a movie, the arc of a series, the arc of any piece of work, you know, understanding the drama, where it has to rise, where it has to rest, uh, where it has to have a final um, uh, climax and then the denouement afterwards. You know, so I, I kind of brought that with me as one of the extra tools that I have that not a lot of um, uh, composers who don't work in TV and film uh, aren't aware of. So mm-hmm. that was a, a good thing to bring along. And it was exciting to create, uh, you know, the music to match the drama, just like, as you said, like in a, a movie. Right, right. Yeah, that's something that I really love, is, is the music that accompanies a movie. So that's a good segue to, to ask about your childhood, where you grew up, and your, sort of your family there. You, you started that. Let's, let's go into that a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, I grew up in Hollywood and in the San Fernando Valley. Basically, we would move around where the studios were. There are some studios in the valley like Burbank and uh, some studios in Hollywood, uh, and that's where my mom worked and my grandfather as well. And, um, eventually my sister. So, uh, I was exposed at a very early age to, you know, the scene in the sixties, you know, the musical scene in the sixties. And my first exposure as a six year old was watching, uh, the monkeys on TV. 
and then closely followed by the Beatles, of course, you know, who are the gods of music, as we all know. Um, and I got really excited, you know, when I saw Mickey Dolan's up there playing the drums, and I wanted to do that. But you can't have a drum set in an apartment building, so eventually I switched to bass because I wanted to be like Paul McCartney. And then, for some reason, I can't even remember, I switched to guitar when I was about 12, and the rest is history, as they say. Yeah. So you started playing really early, though, in, in, in some groups, right? Around 12, around adolescence? I think the first groups, real groups that I was involved with were probably 14, 15. When I got into high school, um, the, one of the very first things that happened was the homecoming dance, as most schools. And uh, the band that was playing was actually the band that became Toto, with all those hits in the 80s and 90s. And, uh, you know, they were the top studio musicians, but they got their start at my high school. And so going to that homecoming dance and seeing the level of playing that was just unparalleled in any high school band, uh, they were playing complicated Steely Dan songs and the two guitar players who went on to become the top studio guitar players for like the next 20 years were right there in front of me. And it was a tremendous inspiration and also a very high bar being set. And to my pleasure, the next year, I was playing in the band that was playing that same homecoming dance. So um, I was able to play with a lot of really accomplished songwriters as well. Um, and just really honing my craft in, you know, as a not just as a young teenager, but quickly moving into clubs and playing in bands and weddings and all kinds of live situations and starting to write at a very early age. I think I wrote my first song when I was 13. So, you know, being exposed to all this music and having all this, um, all these inspirational people around you was really wonderful. And it really drove my, um, uh, my desire to, to accomplish more. Yeah, we talk a lot on this show about the spirituality behind life, and it sounds like that was sort of an urging from some kind of higher power to sort of follow that path. Uh, what do you think of that? I think that's actually very uh, astute for you to say, because I've only now discovered in the last 10 years that the inspirations that I had as a kid were all very much about connecting with divine love, and I certainly wouldn't have known to call it that at, you know, at a young age, but looking back now at my life musically, and I'm not just talking, you know, spiritually and, and my interest in, in spirituality in, in any sense, I'm talking about the musical connection. When I think of the things that I've created and how I've created them, I'm always kind of shooting for that divine love kind of um, mood where you're connecting to that source um, I'm not going to give it two specific names, but uh, it's been really what tr- has driven my musical career without even realizing it. Yeah, I can I can totally see that from what you described in your parents, and then you know the the influences you had with the Beatles and the Monkees and whoever that was. It sounds like you went there from rock. Where was what was next after rock? Well, I, I took a few different side trips. Um, I think in my early teens, I got into progressive rock and that led me to classical music because there, 
you know, it's kind of the bridge between classical music. And I got a degree in um, music from uh, a good music school here in L.A. And I kind of, so I kind of carried that with me um, throughout my career because there are not a lot of players who could do classical guitar and rock guitar. So that was good. And I was able to bl- bring its influence into a lot of other projects. And eventually, you know, my own first, sec- first or second album, which was called Organic Nylon, which is a collection of tunes that were inspired by my classical background and also by my mother's interest in dance. She was very much inter- interested in that. And that's how her, my dad and her met was dancing, actually. And her interest in Afro-Cuban dance. So I got exposed to a lot of things as a kid that later influenced me and came together in that particular project. And in other ways, um, I played in virtually any, every genre of music, uh, country, jazz, classical, obviously, um, rock, pop, acoustic, just about everything. Um, so it's all fed into my, um, you know, to my palette that I can utilize now. You know, I've, I've studied a bit of Indian music. I've studied a bit of South American music, a um, little, little bit of African music, but I'm always pulling in influences from other genres because I don't really believe in keeping things in a particular box. Yeah, yeah, I can tell that. <laughs> That's pretty obvious from your background. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. so we just have a few uh, minutes left, so I want to say something about music in general that maybe you can reference after the, after the break. Um, you know, music in, gen- in general has that s- power by itself, without us thinking much about it, to uh, make us soar sort of into the uh, divine sort of experience. And, and uh, I think that in and of itself is a, is a power behind music. And it, even rock music can do that. And so I think that's important to understand. And the other thing is that when, when we create the cre- process of creation itself, you know, people talk about, and I'm sure you've experienced this, the, the, the fact that when we create, we're, we feel like we're getting into the flow and there's sort of a di- divine energy behind that. So we might want to talk about that after the break. So we'll be back right Definitely. after this and, uh, and uh, stay tuned for more right after the break with Vito Gregoli. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron, author, publisher, and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness, and humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. On Living Strong, the flip side of adversity, Dr. Veerdra Jackson presents stories and powerful guest experts from business, health, relationships, and faith. Every story has its flip side, and we are here to delve into the story and challenge you to view what has kept you in a singular mindset and turn it into the flip side. 
When you can effectively do that, you'll experience necessary growth. Tune in live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You have the power to be stronger, live fearlessly, and enjoy the benefits of a great life. Listen for Fearlessly Authentic with host Jody Harrison Bauer. Jody has proven at an age when many start to slow down that she is just getting started. With two grown daughters, a successful business that she started at 50, a finalist in the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, and a two-time world bikini champion, she's ready to take you to the next level in your life. Fearlessly Authentic airs Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today to Vito Gregoli about his work in music and particularly about his uh, rock opera about Song Divine, so about which is about the Bhagavad Gita. If you haven't been here for the first of the show, please feel free to go back and listen to it as it will be recorded and um, released on the webpage later. So we were talking just a little bit, uh, Vito, about the... Um, the power of music, which kind of presents as a divine energy, and also the power of creativity, which seems to flow from a divine energy. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. Yeah, I, you know, I think you put your nail on the head when you said, uh, mentioned film. Um, music has is been said many times as a soundtrack to our lives. And what it does is it articulates our feelings, it articulates our thoughts, whether it's a love song or a political song or a a piece of new age music that's referencing something spiritual. All these things are are things we go through as human beings. Our emotions, you know, even something as, you know, (laughs) as vociferous as say punk music is tapping into our anger. Mm -hmm. Our love songs are tapping into our, our, romantic heart. So everything in music, every style of music has a different hook into our humanness and our sense of our our ego, our sense of self, uh, what we relate to and what, and its ability to soothe and comfort us. um, I think partly comes from letting you know that you're not alone. There's somebody out there who's felt this, who's, who, who has experienced this like you have. And I think that's one of the greatest things uh, in going from one human being to another is to know you're not alone. You're not isolated. Um, I grew up feeling very isolated from the people around me because I was different from them. I was a creative person. And when I got into high school, I was hanging out with all these creative people and it felt so much more rewarding and uh, affirming in a sense be exposed to that. So, yeah, music is the soundtrack of our lives. Beautifully Creativity. said. Thank you. <laughs> Creativity. Thank 
creativity, there's been a lot of discussion about what creativity is. And not that I'm anywhere near an expert on neurology or uh, the way the brain works, quite the opposite, but I do get the sense that everyone has certain neural pathways that are naturally at birth connected or in some cases disconnected. So there are people who are naturally good at sports. There are people who are naturally good at music, uh, writing, uh, speaking foreign languages, whatever the talent is, we have a natural disposition to it. But I think these neural pathways can be created. And I know as a kid, I was horrible at math. I was horrible all through high school. To this day, I always think I'm horrible at at math. But I know from my life's experience that if I really wanted to, I could learn it. I could create those neural pathways by, as Malcolm Gladwell says, doing my 10,000 hours in that. Um, I was experiencing kind of an affirmation of that back this last April. Uh, I was doing a project for um, a song that was to promote what's going on in the Ukraine. And I decided I needed an instrument that sounded more kind of Eastern European. So I picked the bazooki, which originally came from Greece, but migrated to Ireland. And uh, I bought one. And then within 10 minutes, I was playing it. Not because I'm particularly brilliant, but because there are a lot of commonalities with other instruments I played. And it's the idea that after you learn about three or four or five instruments, you realize that the process is the same. The only question is, how do you make a sound? You know how to make music. How do you make a sound? That's, that's more like math. That's more like learning science. You learn the steps. It's like learning a sport. How do you, how do you get the ball from this side to the other side? There are certain things you need to do. So creativity to me is like, matching your own proclivities with your learned, uh, the learned motions of it. And when people can't connect, say like, oh, I tried playing piano and I just couldn't connect. It's just because they haven't been exposed in the right way. They haven't been inspired in the right way to get them to want to create those neural pathways to get to the creativity. So I think a lot of people think it's only what you're born with, but yeah, you know, I, I have a friend who teaches singing and she says, anyone can learn to sing. Anyone. I said, okay, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But it's along the same lines that everybody has creativity. An accountant has creativity. You know, someone who's making widgets in a factory has creativity. Um, And that's why it's it's been so um, disappointing to see um, music and drama and other classes like that that do tap into creative writing in schools disappearing. Um, because I think it's really important to nurture people's creativity because that teaches them how to connect to the world beyond their four walls. Yeah, it gives them that 10,000 hours, doesn't it? Yeah, and, uh, you know... It's interesting. I think the the more times you do your 10,000 hours, it actually probably reduces, you know, 10,000 the first time, maybe 8,000 the next time, because you learn how to learn in that way, the same way I was able to pick up the bazooki really quickly, because I've already done it on guitar and mandolin and banjo and charango and classical guitar and whatever. 
you know, yeah. it's just learning the mechanics of it. Yeah, I think... If you're a creative writer, I was just going to say, if you're a creative writer, writing copy is different from writing a novel, but you tap into those same uh, 10,000 hours. You're just redirecting and learning the mechanics of the new uh, um, forum that you're working with. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think, too, that we uh, create in our own worlds. Like you said, the, the person in a factory might make his uh, gadget one way uh, because, I mean, he's got to turn it out a certain way, but he might have a certain method of doing that that's very creative. And uh, so we, we do tend to put people in a box and say everything's the same and it comes out this way, and if you don't have it genetically, you don't have it. Um, but actually, that's, uh, that's, you know, that's really, like you said, not true. Everybody's creative in their own way. And so you're very creative about music. Somebody else might be very creative about math. So, yeah, that whole yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, okay. Exactly. Uh, I want to learn more about the music you've done. So you released your first album when? Well, I, I moved to Seattle in 98 with my ex-wife. And it was just a beautiful thing to do because I was raised in sunny, hot, smoggy Southern California. Uh, not to disparage it, but I just I'd had enough. And so it's she. So we moved to Seattle. And when you make one change, sometimes it's easier to realize that maybe you should be making a few other changes. So not long after we moved there, we split up. And it was imperative to me that if I remained in Seattle, I would be leaning on her as the only person I was close to in that area. So I decided to move back to L.A. And when I did, I decided I'm not going to do things the way I did them before. I'm going to start my own record label. I'm going to make the music I really want to make, despite, you know, the state of the quote-unquote record business and what it was telling me I should be doing. So I first album I did was an album of Tibetan chants with a female llama in Seattle, ironically. Um, very traditional, very, very raw and beautiful. And that was my first foray into uh, releasing an album. And uh, I did a few other albums for some other people. Uh, and then I finally got around to releasing my first album, which was called Yoga Heart Healing, which was deliberately named that way so people knew what it was about. Um, it's kind of an ambient project uh, in the uh, in the vein of Steve Roach's earlier work, who is a very big influence on my uh, synth approach. Um, but I did utilize the Indian Esraj, which is a bowed instrument that has a very plaintive quality to it. So already then I was starting to bring in influences uh, from other genres. And then shortly after that, I released the album I mentioned earlier, Organic Nylon, which is obviously diametrically opposite of an ambient album that's made to listen to while you're doing massage or yoga or such. Um, so I was never kind of caught up in this is, this is my genre and this is what you can expect from me next time. I just was interested in putting out the music I had in my head. Um, I did a jazz fusion album with one of my closest friends from college who was a very accomplished musician who's played with oh, so many major artists. Um, and it had a lot of world influences, so we called it the New World Jazz Order. 
uh, and it was a really fun project to do. And uh, we we hit a lot of interesting things, including a couple of uh, message songs um, and a beautiful rendition of the uh, Nat King Cole hit "Nature Boy," which my partner David sang so lovely, lovely, lovely. What's the right word? <laughs> lovely, beautifully. <laughs> Yeah. I think lovely is a Cockney yeah. way of saying it, so that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. And one of the other albums I did was a holiday album uh, with two friends of mine who are violinists. Um, my experience in, co- in classical music, starting from singing in choirs in high school, was very much interested in English folk song-based carols. Um, some of the work of Gustav Holst and Ralph Vaughan Williams and Benjamin Britten. So I kind of put I, I arranged all these songs. It's not, you know, there's no jingle bells. It's all, you know, uh, uh, stuff like, um, I can't think of the name of it. <laughs> there's a, The closest we get is Silent Night and Deck the Hall. The rest are, okay. are slightly more obscure. Uh, Bleak Midwinter, that was one I was trying to think of. Um, so just arranging it all for violins and guitar, violins and piano. And that was a super fun project to do and to see all... You know, that's such beautiful music that they composed. Um, so that's just an idea of the variety. And then getting more into uh, uh, producing singer-songwriters. Uh, one of them I've been working with consistently is Kimberly Haynes, whose beautiful voice and writing goes all the way from jazz to very um, insp- inspired, new age-oriented, um, almost prayerful. So that's been fun. And so I've been really blessed to have worked in all the, these disciplines that interest me. Um, you know, I've had a great experience working with some of my heroes, uh, Constance Denby, Jayu Paul, um, you know, Donna Delory, um, wonderful people that have inspired me. And that's been just such a wonderful thing. Yeah, that's, you know, it is. go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I was just going to say that, you know, and then culminating this last album with Ricky Kesh, who uh, we've known each other for, gosh, almost 10 years. And this is the first project we've officially done together. And it was such a delight. What a a treat. (laughs) Absolutely. And I love the title, uh, Wild Monsoon. So in there, you're talking about, when you were just talking, you were talking about sort of the transition you made from uh, from uh, actually composing to sort of a mix between composing and producing, and that's because you had your own uh, record label. Is that correct? Partially correct. What I left out was the fact that I've always been producing. Um, I was always the guy in the band that would tell everybody else what to do, even though they didn't like being told what to do. I always heard kind of the complete project in my head and I knew kind of a way to get there. You know, it wasn't the only way, but everybody else didn't have that skill. So they were all going, I'm not sure where you go. I go, what do we do here? And and I go, Oh, we should do that. And then we should do that. And I would drive people crazy. Yeah. And in the nineties, uh, I was, you know, producing demos for people I was working with. I was musical director for a lot of, singer-songwriters who were going out and playing live. So I was essentially producing. I just hadn't released a record until 2001 as a producer. Um, 
And then, you know, it was a mixture of my own stuff and other people I, I was working with. This last seven years was the longest stretch of not releasing any music of my own, uh, which, you know, knock wood, I was extremely busy. The last album I re- had released was Omeland in 2015, which got very great response. And that was actually done partially with Ricky Cash, um, and Kimberly Haynes was sing- singing on it as well. Uh, and then I got super busy doing other projects, and it took until last October when we finished Song Divine, which was a three-year project, and then this last June with Wild Monsoon, which really was an eight-year project because Ricky won the Grammy back in 2000, and I'm going to say 14 around then, and his life changed. You know, um, he's, he lives in India, and the Indian government supports the arts in a different way because his emphasis has always been on the environment, our environment, rather, um, it's, he's been able to pivot that into working with the United Nations. He just recently did a gig for, you know, the, um, the Secretary General of the United Nations. So his life completely shifted. So we weren't able to connect and finish this project until last September. And then finally wrapped it up. Uh, he literally was getting on a plane in a few days uh, after coming out here to mix this album to go to Las Vegas for the Grammys where he won his second Grammy. So, um, you know, he's an extremely accomplished, you know, human being, let alone, you know, producer, artist. Um, yeah, so it, it took like seven years to get one album out last October, and then within six months I released the second album, or maybe nine months, yeah. So that's been kind of unprecedented for me, having two, two, proje- two collaborations that were so rewarding and having them come out after such a fallow period of not releasing anything, that was, that's been really good. Yeah, sometimes I think those fallow periods are meant to sort of germinate something that is going to come out and be very creative later. Definitely. I think, though, for these, both of these projects, it just took a long time because of the logistics, and uh, there wasn't a, uh, an absence of inspiration on either of them at any point. Quite the opposite. Wow. I was very much interested in finishing this album, you know, two, three years ago, but Ricky just plain wasn't available. And then eventually I became too busy to do it. Um, I've been, you know, I'll knock wood again, very blessed with never having a writing block, never Wonderful. having a period where I wasn't inspired by something. Yeah. And, so that's uh, really know, that beautiful. Change, but <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to go to the break now. We'll be back in just a few minutes sure. with more from uh, Vito Grigoli. Are you feeling unhealthy, overweight, stressed, or generally tired? Have you lost your motivation? And has life gotten you down? Beth Shaw and her guest experts are here to help you and all of America get healthy. Listen to Make America Healthy and gain valuable tools to reclaim your physical, mental, and emotional health. Make America Healthy, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Do you dream about success but wonder how to get there? Hilary Caesar and her guests will reveal how they relaunched into lives they only dreamt about. Their stories will inspire and surprise you and ignite your inner sparks. The Relaunch, Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It seems there is always a transition going on in our life. 
Throughout our days, seasons, work, and home life, we hold many dynamic roles. Sometimes we lose track of ourselves and have trouble accessing the happiness inside. What if the search was a lot simpler and easier than we thought? Tune in to Habits for Happiness with Lady Fuller. You'll learn to take back control of your life and make the choice to happiness that much easier. Listen live every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free. 1-888-346-9141 That's 1-888-346-9141 You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at AndreaMatthews.com Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today to Vito Brigoli about his work on Song Divine, uh, uh, the rock opera Song Divine. And... Um, so I want to ask you, do you, uh, I know that Song Divine has to be your favorite for this show, but do you have any uh, favorite albums that you've done? Is there a favorite that just sort of continues to move you? I think looking back, every album has something that touches me. And, um, you know, your first reaction as an artist is to feel like, oh, my God, I'm feeling my ego. You mm-hmm. know, look, look at the wonderful thing I did. But there, it's really about, you create music that moves you and you hope it moves other people. So of course it's going to move you when you listen back to it, you know, five years later, it's natural. You know, it's not because you did it especially uh, uniquely or in any sort of excellence necessarily, although you always hope you do. It's about, this is music that touched your heart, whether it's a love song or a, a, you know, 22 piece minute piece of, you know, new age music. So, yeah, I, I would say um, there are por- portions of Song Divine where I still listen to and I go, wow, that really tugs at my heart. I really, you know, that really inspires me or moves me. And that's a wonderful feeling. And there's one particular song on Wild Monsoon. Well, there are a lot of songs on Wild Monsoon and, and it's fresh. So it's, maybe I have, you know, a stronger um, feeling about that because of, you know, it's only released a few months ago. But there's a particular song that is the only vocal song on the album that, uh, my, as I mentioned before, my friend Kimberly Haynes uh, sang on that just rips my heart open every time. And it's a song that was started by Ricky, so I can't really take credit for too much of the melodic content. Um, so it's easy to disassociate your ego from it. But it really, you know, there were portions where I was, sections of the song where I was going, I really wanted to do this and really had this divine love kind of feeling where, you know, it just, you feel like you're soaring above the clouds, floating and and yada, yada. And, uh, you know, Kimberly came in and sang the stuff and I went, wow, it's great. It's great. It's great. And then when I pieced it all together and did all the editing and, and mixing of it, it just it hit the exact place in the heart that I was aiming for. So mm. every time I hear it, I am moved by it. And again, you know, it's mostly Ricky's music, really, that particular song. 
Yeah. So uh, I can't take credit for it, but it was, it's really gratifying to be able to hear something. Um, he did a version of it on his Shanti Samsara album a few years ago, and it's very much more sedate. It has a drama to it. It's a very kind of elegant drama. And what I was going for is the more ecstatic drama. Um, and so I elevated uh, it in a different direction. And, you know, being able to hear that in his version and then having it manifest in the finished product is so gratifying and so rewarding. And it's really what we want to do as artists. We hear this thing in our heads or we feel it in our hearts and we want to bring it out into the world and share it with other people so that they have that same feeling. And uh, that's really what we're trying to do. And every time someone, you know, comments on Wildman's and they'll say, this song is my favorite. I love the way it does this or this different song. And I'm, I'm thinking, wow, that was a song I thought was going to be a sleeper. One of people's mm-hmm. favorite songs off song divine is Brahman, which has a very uh, esoteric, slightly dissonant scale in it. And I did some, really weird harmonies in it to, to accommodate that with different time signatures. And I thought this is going to be, no one's going to connect to this. This will probably be the least listened to song on the album. And I'm surprised people go, Oh, that's my favorite song. So everybody, you know, the other part, the other aspect of it is everybody's hearing within the context of their own experience, their own lives. So just like you can watch the same movie and, and love it. That's, someone next to you would go, oh, I hated that movie. You're bringing your own um, mindset to it. You're bringing your own life experience. Um, You're bringing your own state of mind at a particular moment. Did you have an argument with your wife before you walked in? Did your kids, you know, uh, report card reflect badly and you're bringing that into the movie? Same thing with listening to a song. You know, any piece of music, it has to do with who you are and how you receive it. So one person would receive it in one way. One person would receive it a different way. I had one um, person I was talking to who we played a snippet on, on her particular podcast and she would comment on what it sounded like to her, what it brought out in her. And I was more often surprised by her responses than, you know, having it be what I would expect it would be. And it reaffirmed the idea that everybody hears what they want to hear in music or maybe what they need to hear in the music. Yeah, I think that's really true. Uh, maybe need is more accurate than want, but uh, yeah, I think that's really true. And I think that's part of the divine energy that comes into music and thro- fl- flows through any kind of creativity. That it's because it comes from source it has sources kind of fingerprint on it. Exactly. Yeah. And if you're, I think if you're doing your, your art right, you are really aiming, your audience isn't necessarily, you know, uh, adults 21 to 40 or, you know, um, country audience or any particular thing. Your audience is really the divine. Yeah. Really. I mean, that's, yeah. what, that's who you're making music for. You just hope everybody else comes along for the ride. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what have you got something planned for the future, some new thing, new music you're working on? 
Um, this is an interesting period because this is probably the first time I've had a pause in most of my work. I finished a lot of projects in the last month. Uh, I've been focused a lot at promoting Wild Monsoon and Song Divine. Uh, Lisa and I are working on ways to get Song Divine out there. Initially, it was planned as a stage show, kind of cross between Cirque du Soleil and, and Broadway. And when we constructed all these songs, we had in our minds how it would play on stage. But one of the things she's working on is, is a movie script. Uh, another thing is digital concerts and finding different ways of uh, getting it out there because there's such, uh, such a great audience for it. People who are familiar with the Bhagavad Gita, people who have never heard about it, um, you know, different people who will get inspired by it. And same thing with Wild Monsoon is finding the audience. So I've been spending a lot of time doing that. Um, but I've also got a lot of things coming up this fall, uh, working with new artists and doing, uh, you know, second and third projects with other artists. So that's exciting. And um, I don't know what my next project as an artist will be, but I think it will be make itself self-evident when the time is right. Yeah, as it always does. So there's right yeah. now there's a lot of chaos and trouble in this old world of ours. And do you have a message that you would want to give us? Yeah, I have a unique perspective of having studied history since I was a very little kid. It was probably my second big love after music. And it gives, it has any historian or amateur historian in my case, will tell you, you know, you have a perspective of understanding the backstory of anything that's going on and the backstory to that and the backstory to that stretching on back to the beginning of civilization. So when I see what's happening in this world, I think people don't realize how much better we've had it than civilization has ever had it. The trouble is we now have the power to destroy it in a way that we've never had, literally destroy the planet. Um, so I think that's what really scares people. And ha- not having the context of understanding what the Ukraine-Russia war is about, understanding why there's homelessness, what are the causes of it, and these very complicated subjects, um, the fact that people can understand it easily is uh, a detriment to people's ability to to get behind change. So I want to encourage everybody to read more, learn more, and get it from many different sources. Because when that happens, that's when we can really make some change in this world, when we have the tools. And the la- last thing I'll say if I have time is that, you know, people look at um, different things going on in the world uh, the rise of uh, nationalism and anti-immigration and racism, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the forces of good have made extreme advan- advances at the same time. So you may be thinking that, you know, the world has gotten to be the worst place it's ever been, you know, uh, and people are, are are more unkind to each other and less... Um, accepting, but it actually, historically speaking, is the exact opposite. We've never been in a more accepting society than we are. We're just having a lot of resurgence of things that we thought we were over uh, 
So let let the good things that are happening inspire you. That's, yes. That's my take. Yes, yes, yes. Very true. So where can we find out more about you? Well, you can go to vitogregolimusic.com um, and you can find me on any music service. Um, I'm listed as David Vito Grigoli. That's another long story. Maybe the next time I'm on, I'll explain that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, please come and hear, hear what I've been doing. I'd love to share it with you. You know, go onto my website, hit the contact button, and, you know, sh- share what my music has um, inspired you or uninspired you, whatever. You know, <laughs> let's keep in contact, everyone. Yeah, absolutely. So, VitoGregoli.com. That's a V-I-T-O-G-O. No, I'm sorry. G-O-L-I. Spell it for us. I'm getting it wrong. V-I-T-O-G-R-E-G-O-L-I music.com. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Spelling is not my best. <laughs> okay. So, it's we just okay. have, you know. yeah, we just have like two minutes left, but I want to ask you if you're, if you weren't playing music, I mean, you're just like the music man. So if you weren't playing music, what would you be doing? I think I would be more involved in our environment and, and act more, active, more of an activist. I would probably be writing uh, scripts for historical dramas because that puts, you know, what I grew up with in, in both the, you know, the acting drama world and the history world together. I have a lot of ideas for shows that should be made um, that are historically based. And uh, I'm sure I'd get in some other creative, you know, maybe acting or dancing. Who knows? Mm -hmm. (laughs) When you're, when your brain gets used to being creative, it's, it's a habit. Oh yeah. It doesn't, it's not restricted to any one discipline. You know, I, I haven't thought of myself as a very good writer, but I think that I could learn to be a good writer. I just get my 10,000 hours. Yeah, absolutely. Get those 10,000 hours. Yeah, I'm a writer, and I find that when I'm I'm sleeping or when I'm just laying there just before or just after sleep, uh, I'm, like, looking at the writing that I've just done and kind of revising it in my head, and it just goes on and on. And I'm sure that's true for you with music, so. Okay. Well, that's the thing. We, we never have off time. <laughs> yep. Yep. The creative energy just keeps flowing through us, doesn't it? Amen. <laughs> All right. So uh, this has been wonderful, uh, Vito, and I appreciate you being on the show so much today. And I do hope our listeners will go to your website and learn more about you and stay in touch with you um, because I think you have so much to offer the world. And I know you've got a, a life ahead of you where you're going to bring the world what's in your soul. So I appreciate oh, you, you being so on the much. show that's so today. Kind of you. Yeah, I appreciate you being on the show today. And that's it for today. Uh, we're going to be back again next week. And remember, your job, should you accept it, is to give birth to your soul. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week. 